Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. Today, I'm talking to Raven Lalani, the author of Luster, which is out now from Farrar, Strauss, and Guru. For a full transcript of our conversation, check out the episode show notes over on readingwomenpodcast.com. This is the last interview in a series of episodes that we are doing in partnership with the Miami Book Fair, which is all online this year. You can go find out more information about the Miami Book Fair on miamibookfaironline.com to see all of their events, to log in, register, and participate. So in the series of episodes so far, I've talked to Kaming Chang about her novel Bestiary. I've talked to Naima Coster about her debut novel Halsey Street. And now I'm talking to Raven Lani about her novel, Luster. So this novel is about a young black woman named Edie who is working in a publishing house and she's just really scraping by and she starts an affair with a married white man. So through a series of events, she ends up living with uh, the white guy and his wife and their daughter who is adopted and she is black. And so that creates a very interesting dynamic in the house as she uh, lives there. And this book is so well-written and the prose is absolutely gorgeous. Not a word out of place. I was just so impressed that this was her debut. Like it's a phenomenal book and it's not that long either, but I felt like she packed so much into the story that when I finished, I felt I had read twice as many pages. I really enjoyed the audiobook as well, would highly recommend And uh, I really loved being able to talk to Raven about uh, her book. So a little bit about Raven Lalani before we get started. Like I mentioned, uh, Luster is her first novel and it recently uh, came out from FSG. Her work has been published in Granta, McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, Yale Review, Conjunctions, The Cut, and New England Review, among other publications. And she completed her MFA at NYU and you can reach her on Twitter at Raven Lalani. And if you are also, I want to note before we get started, if you are in the UK, her book is coming out uh, January 21st of 2021. So hang in there. The book is coming soon to you. All right. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Raven Lalani. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Raven. I am so thrilled to talk to you about your book, Luster. Thank you for having me. This is very cool. (laughs) Um, Well, I loved your book, but before we jump into that conversation, um, what has been bringing you joy recently? And uh, things have been so much this year, but what are some things that have been really like a light in your life for you? Oh boy. I've just been like revisiting my favorite paintings. Um, I, I had, you know, the Met reopened recently. I was able to kind of go and it was, you know, it was very different experience because it's very, you know, a lot of social distancing rules are enforced as they should be. And so the museum itself is like, was empty. I'd, I'd never, I'd never experienced that, but I was able to revisit some of my paintings and also find new ones that I I really loved like right now I'm, I'm really, I'm really into the paintings of, of Mary Cassatt. Um, those are bringing me so much joy, honestly, giving me fuel for when I, I feel like I want to try my hand at, at painting. 
And you're a painter as well. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's weird. It's weird. I feel weird to, to claim that <laughs> um, because it's been sort of a secret private thing I did alongside my, my writing, but it definitely is something I'm doing a lot of. Uh, when the, when the pandemic started, I don't know, something that side of my brain turned on and I honestly was able to paint more than I have been able to write. So I've, I've definitely been like feeding myself with, with more uh, painters that I really love. Yeah. Well, I went on your website and there are some examples of your work there and it's, it's just beautiful. Thank you. I am a huge fan. It was very helpful for in the book. We'll get into that a little bit because your protagonist is an artist as well. But you had a lot going on recently with this book. Uh, immediately, it was a bestseller. Yeah. It was talked about on every single bookstagram page and across the internet. <laughs> yeah. And most recently, um, it was, uh, you've been named a 535 uh, honoree by the National Book Award. So huge congrats there. Thank you so much. Um, it's been, I mean, that it's really deeply surreal still. I feel like even without this, this year, everything that has happened would um, would feel unreal. But it has just been, I feel, extreme relief, but also gratitude um, that people are engaging with the book, you know, in this way. Um, that's what you hope for. At least that's what I hoped for when I was writing this book. You know, I when I was in the middle of this draft, it was different in that, unlike a lot of the other things I'd written before it, I really wrote it with the intention that it would be read you know, and uh, I wanted I wanted it to be inviting and welcoming, and so I'm so glad that I'm really really glad that people have um, have come to it uh, with generosity um, and also reading with a critical eye. I've 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 learned a lot in the, these last couple of months talking about people with the book. Well, this is your debut novel, and I always love to hear kind of your publishing story. So how long were you working on this book, and how long did it take for it to be published with FSG? I started this book um, my second year in my MFA. So I went to the NYU MFA program. Um, I had been living in D.C. Uh, about five years before I came back um, to New York, and I'd been you know, kind of chipping away and writing short stories and trying to get those published in literary journals that I really loved. And so that, but what that means is that I was pretty much for five years kind of like getting published here and there, but mostly co collecting rejections. <laughs> and, and the book that I came to New York with was actually not this book. It was um, a totally different thing that I was really excited about. But after my first workshop, I had these really illuminating and, and somewhat crushing <laughs> conversations with people who would become my mentors, who, who asked me necessary questions about why I was writing the thing I was writing and whether I felt it belonged in the world. And when I couldn't really answer those questions with any real conviction, I started this book in my second year. Uh, so I wrote it and pretty much it took, it took a bit, a little bit over a year to write this book. I started it my second year and pretty much it finished it um, as I was, you know, graduating the program, it, it was funny because I feel like I had been kind of hardened by that first part of my journey where I was really just trying to break through and like get some traction with my short stories and my poetry. And, and I had learned that the process was very much about, um, kind of persevering, <laughs> you know, you, you collect the rejections and then you kind of see what works and you see what sticks. And so at that point, 
you know, when I was working on this book and it felt different to me, it felt urgent. I got, I, I got an agent. I think I was like three chapters into the book and I was in Katie Kitamura's workshop. And I think that, you know, she saw that I was really serious about this project and um, I needed guidance desperately. <laughs> um, and so she, you know, I really do want to give credit to the fact that so much of my journey when it started really going well, <laughs> it was because there were people who had been through it, who saw me and saw my seriousness and, and really took me up on that. And then it, I think a year after that, it was published. So uh, from, from Google Doc, you know, to, <laughs> to finish draft, um, it, was, it was about a year and then uh, another year before it came out. Um, and it, that is like a, that's actually quite a short yeah, a short time from what I understand. But I think when it was acquired, we wanted to get it out as, as soon as possible. I mean, that is incredibly short amount of time. I think especially since, you know, your protagonist, Edie, has a very strong voice in the novel, in just the whole I'm just enraptured by her. And the last time I was this kind of obsessed with a protagonist was in Patty Yumi Cottrell's Sorry to Disrupt the Peace. Yes. Someone read, uh, Joss, one of our contributors read this and was like, Kendra, we're both huge fans of that book. And she's like, you need to read this. This is, this is like, this give me that kind of like goosebumps of kind of story. And, wow. and so when I read it, I was like, yes. And I read it in 24 hours. I just flew through it. And I just, wow. I love hearing that. I love hearing that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to uh, fangirl too much, uh, but how did her voice first appear in your mind? Was it something that you had to develop over time or did she just kind of appear in your mind fully formed? Uh, I would say that nothing ever really appeared in my mind fully formed. <laughs> you know, like I really, <laughs> I start a thing. I have something that it feels exciting to me and I get to the page and it's that moment where, you know, the rubber meets the road where you figure out if it's going to work or not. And for pretty much everything I write, um, I have, to, I'm actually pretty deep in it and still wondering if it's going to work. And so, you know, when I started this, I think what, what made it work is that I did really feel that this project was, was urgent, you know, even during the moments, you know, where I felt kind of, adrift and not sure, um, how to proceed. Edie came to me, you know, Edie came to me partly because I think at the time I, you know, she's an aspiring artist and she's trying to meet the demands of, of living while trying to carve out space to make art. And that was very much what I was going through at the time. Cause I was in my MFA, I was working full time and working on this book. And so I was, I was really kind of, um, in a, a deeply, a uh, frantic state, <laughs> You know, everything felt urgent, everything felt important, and I, I felt all the time that there wasn't enough time. And I think that came out onto the page, like, uh, organically, uh, where I started writing this young Black woman who is trying to make art, but is also trying, is contending with the, you know, the real impediments in the, you know, in the way that kind of preclude her ability to to have the means or faith <laughs> or time to make art you know she is uh, she's trying to eat she's trying to pay her student debt 
And she's also trying to sustain belief in herself, even though the work is private and the work is is done in these like these these dark kind of after hours. So I think for me, the voice came from that, from the scramble that I was in trying to do make art myself, but also a feeling I had that I really desperately needed to see a, a black woman on the page who is who's messing up who's failing, who is human, and who deeply wants um, to be touched and to be witnessed. I really appreciate you saying that because I feel like oftentimes I'll, I'll see reviews and it's like they expect so much of perfection from their Black women characters. Right. And that's obviously very problematic. I mean, Edie deserves just as much space to screw up and make mistakes as as anyone else. And I really appreciated the way that you wrote that, um, in the story. Thank you. And that was, I mean, that was really important to me. I mean, and almost like exactly the point where I feel, you know, black women, especially are, um, are tasked with surviving in environments where they are, where it is actually, um, risky to be, to be fallible. And so, you know, I, I was trying to write against the idea of, of stoicism as virtuous, of, of bearing pain well as virtuous. Like I wanted, because um, I, I think ultimately that expectation that black women be pristine and that they have, that they comport themselves in X way to uh, be afforded empathy, that that is dehumanizing. And so it was, you know, it is, it is also just fun to write a chaotic character, <laughs> but it also felt in a way that it shouldn't be. It felt radical to write a deeply fallible black woman <laughs> who is making dysfunctional choices that are sometimes her own, but are also responses to an extremely dysfunctional environment. And I think you definitely got into her head and so that you might be like screaming at the book, like, why are you making this choice? But at the same time, you're like, oh, I see how she got there. Yes, yes. That type of characterization on so many levels is just throughout the entire book. And I think for this, a book of this size and of this intensely focused on character, I mean, that has, that has to be there. But I think you're very successful at that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. The the characters in this book are, are my favorite part of, because each of them, even characters that aren't there very long, like some of the men that she slept with um, or her co-workers, you see them on the page in such a, a vibrant, well-rounded way, even if they're just there to kind of make a point or, or move her along on her journey, um, end up in this relationship with this married man and Edie ends up living with them and the wife knows that she and her husband are having this relationship. It's very you're just reading the book and you're like, how did you get here? But you kind of make all those steps. When it came to the other characters in the book, um, the people in Edie's life, I guess, how did you go about making those other characters? And where did they originate from something you wanted Edie to experience? Or were they kind of separate and you like, oh, I really like this character. I want to expand on that. I guess, what was your process for that? I think it's very much the latter where I, I, I like this character and I want to see where I can go with it. Because I do think when I'm writing, it is the most like my, my Bible is, is in, in terms of character is subvert that expectation, subvert the expectation of what this character would look like, like archetypically. Cause I think that the honest depictions 
contain contradiction that are inherent to being human. They, they allow characters to be surprising in the way that I feel like people are surprising. And so, you know, when it came to depicting, you know, some of the, even just the secondary characters, not even just like the main crew, I, I wanted them to inhabit that space in a way that felt full and in a way that um, would hopefully provide for the reader what is really yummy to me when I'm reading, which is like recognition, as in like, I've seen that person before. Like, I know that person. For me, with character, I really try and, I try and get as granular as I can because um, I do think the more detail, the more recognition um, is possible, and and that's what I'm that's what I'm looking for and, and writing toward. Which is, you know, I want people to come to the book and and have that. Oh, I I know that, you know, or you know, I mean, the the flip side is, um, oh, I didn't know that, <laughs> which is, which is also great. Um, but with the the main crew, Rebecca, the wife, um, and and Eric. Um, you know, who she starts this the relationship with and Akilah, their, their adopted daughter, you know, I, I, I really like, there's a lot of me in all of them, I would say. So there's that too, where some of it was me writing what I knew, but also me wanting to allow these characters to exist on the page in a way that felt generous and human and that wasn't in an overt way, trying to guide my reader to the idea of who this person is and what they represent. And we'll be back with more from this episode after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is our Reading Women's Store. So this month, we have our signature navy totes on sale. And these are gorgeous totes ready for your trip to the library to quickly pick up your books that you put on hold or I take mine to the pool, I put my towels in it, I take packages to go mail. It is an incredibly versatile tote and it has square, a square bottom so you can set it down and it will stand up. And it's the perfect size for whatever adventure that you have planned. So you can find that over in our store. You can go to Etsy and search Reading Women or you can just go to the link in the show notes And that will take you right to our store where you can get 20% off one of our signature Reading Women totes. And I really appreciate that about your characters because there's a lot that you cover in this book. And again, I, I read it and I feel like my experience was with a book twice as long as it is. I feel like you definitely... Uh, packed a lot into this story. And one of those things is these power dynamics between Edie and um, the family that she's staying with, with her co-workers, um, with her experience, um, you know, with class. And all of these things are, are tied up in together in her experience with this family. What were some of the challenges that you experienced working with all these different power dynamics as you were writing the story? Oh man, I mean, that really was like one of the top five like challenges of, of pulling this book together. I, I do remember like when I started getting towards the middle and all the characters were in play, I had like panicked a little bit because I was like, how do I balance all of these personalities? How do I, you know, how do I make it so that their interactions feel specific? And and I think that's that's sort of almost the answer too, which is that how I did that was I tried to make it so that the way, you know, each character interacted with, you know, the, with other characters felt, felt natural to the character that had been established, you know, like 
I do think balancing the power dynamics between these four characters really comes from being faithful to how I set the, how I set them up on the page. So Rebecca is, I think, ultimately the person in this book who is most in control. She's a, she's a character who is in control. She's precise. Um, and she's serious. Um, she's also surprising. Um, and Edie is very much out of control. (laughs) You know, she's chaotic and she's, um, she's led around by her id. And so drawing two characters like that together is really fun on the page and is, is really exciting because you get to, um, you get to experience like the sort of friction between, um, between poles and you get with, with Eric and Edie, it, that too is exciting because, you know, Edie is a character who is excited by that power imbalance and who absolutely leans into the sort of annihilation that that um, offers her. And so that was that was one way I handled handled that. Um, and with Akila, that was actually that was a different that was different terrain for me in writing Edie. Because Edie throughout the book is sort of looking for care and looking for witnesses. But in this situation, you know, in, in this dynamic, she becomes more of the caretaker. It really was, it's funny because I feel like I don't, I've never actually articulated exactly how, but like once the character was on the page along with the others, you know, there, it just kind of fell into place. It, in a way, it kind of just fell into place. You know, I got to play around with the way that power, I think, naturally oscillates between people as they begin to reveal themselves to each other. And there are these moments between them that are just so intimate and that reflect these power dynamics and how they're kind of moving. And there's also these other moments like between Akila and Edie, like when they're playing video games. And I love video games. And so these moments, (laughs) I would be like, okay, this is this game that she's talking about. This one is this game. Amazing. Oh. Can I put you on the spot and, and let's ask you what your favorite is? My favorite video game? Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I would say um, Zelda Ocarina of Time. Okay. Uh, Very nice. <laughs> um, I also love simulation games. So things like Animal Crossing, The Sims. Um, yes. I've played World of Warcraft on and on for yes. years. <laughs> So I listen to audiobooks and play video games at the same time. It's like this oh, I beautiful. Love that. Yeah, you should definitely try it sometime. <laughs> yes, I don't know how I have never arrived. That is actually perfect. Um, I mean, it's really it's wonderful to talk to hear your love of games. You know, and and it really is like you're right. It is in the it's in the text. You know, I I like you. You know, role playing games are where my heart is. You know, there is that sort of. A little bit on the page where Edie is very much more into like your Call of Duty yeah. kind of first person <laughs> shooters, and um, and Akila has her own kind of philosophy <laughs> around like the the you know the merit of a, a game where you actually have to speak to villagers, yes. you know. Um, and so uh, totally in 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 that uh, part of the book, that's just my love coming through because I too, you know really, really love um, and kind of came up in like the narrative worlds of, of video games. And, you know, when they, when Edie and Akila are kind of drawing nearer to each other, they are doing it through this medium. They're doing it um, through these avatars. And I can say personally, that has been, you know, 
in, in my early, like in my early adulthood, that was one major way that I bonded with people through like a shared fandom. Um, and I wanted to not only just kind of be able to make room for, you know, to spew my own fandom, <laughs> but also to show to black women, um, engage in a, a joyful experience, you know, one that is in, in a way that is perhaps, you know, you could read it in a way where the, these two black women are relating to each other in still a, a digital context where they, um, you know, are, are still kind of disembodied in the way that a lot of black women have to be as they move through the world. Um, but it also was a site of enormous joy for me to be able to one kind of pay homage to the video games that have shaped my sensibilities and that have brought me joy, but also to, to show two black women enjoying themselves and enjoying themselves in, in a communal, uh, in a communal way. It, it, one of the things I loved about that section is that by you mentioning what video games each one like and their philosophy that revealed also a lot about their character, if you were already familiar with the games, um, yes, <laughs> it's sort of like when an author is really into music and I know nothing about music history and I know if I actually knew what these, <laughs> what these yeah. things were, I would get a lot more out of the book. And I felt like your book was very similar, but in a video game kind of way. So <laughs> thank you for saying that. And I, I really, I'm so glad that, that it could be that because like that too is like the recognition that. Uh, we were talking about earlier, we're like, isn't it so delicious to like, to read a thing or to watch a thing and to have something in there that is like, just for you, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, to recognize. And I, I really, you know, I've, I enjoy that when I encounter it. So it was kind of a pleasure to be able to plant those things. I wanted to ask you about a little bit about the title, because I know that relates to like painting and luster and painting, but also it has the word lust in it. And also, um, I wanted to fangirl about Na Kim a little bit because... Yes! <laughs> she is a genius. She is incredible. <laughs> yeah, I, I love her covers so, so much. And then I, when I, I'll pick out a cover like your cover, and I'm like, I want to frame this and put it on my wall. Right? And usually, it, it's usually one of three people, and Na Kim is high up there. And she's so talented, like... She really, really is. Like it was like the first cover they sent me. So it was, it was, um, cause I had been told that that process is like kind of a long and perhaps arduous one. And so I was braced, but they sent me the very first one and it was this, it was literally, it was art and beautiful. Um, like just, I, I'm actually looking at it right now. I have it like right beside me and it is just, it's so like the colors are so bright and so vital um, and it really, I feel like it, it encapsulates everything that the book is, you know, I, 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 when I said to her that it is just incredibly cool to write a book about art and have actual art, like wrapped around it, you know, like it is, she is really, um, she distilled the book into like the perfect, I don't know, the perfect visual. Um, I like, as weird as I'm like accustomed to being able to just hold it up when I'm talking about it. <laughs> we can't do that here. Um, but it is, you know, the fact of it having like the hair on the cover, the textured hair, which means a lot to me um, as a black woman um, and having that luster of skin and having her sort of kind of out of frame a little bit, where if you stand back from the book, it's, it kind of 
it looks more abstract. Like it is a beautiful kind of um, shape shifting color or cover. It's really, mm-hmm. really. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you brought her up because she is really <laughs> just. She's amazing. Was Luster always the title of of this book? Um, no, it really wasn't. <laughs> um, and I, I, I laugh because uh, that is one thing that would come up in workshop. That came up in revisions. Like every everybody was like, "You have to do something about that terrible title." And so the the title that you know I had for this book was was not good. Um, and then after I sent like a fifty or sixty different titles. Um, to my editor, Jana, when we got to Luster, we like knew that that was it. Um, and like, like you mentioned, I think pretty much, you know, you summed it up. Like the reason we named it Luster is, is, you know, because of that, you know, that almost punny wordplay of, of lust and, and paint, oh, Luster. Um, but also the idea of, I mean, the idea of fantasy coming up against the flesh, you know, the idea of that, of that luster or fantasy of a, you know, not necessarily of a person, but of, of a grind of what, what you think the journey should look like and what it actually looks like. And the way that that, you know, how to either maintain or preserve that luster or the way that it, the way that it is tarnished. And that sounds, I think that sounds heavy, but I do think that that is, um, I wanted to still with a title be talking practically about about what it means to maintain your faith and, you know, your, your drive, um, in the midst of, in the midst of all of the kind of natural impediments that there are to making art, to carving yourself, to carving time out, to do work that's meaningful for you. So, well, those are all the questions that I had for you about the book. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered before we jump into the closer questions? Well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for, for having me on. Um, and I, I did want to say like, that this is, it's cool that this is a part of, um, the Miami book fair. Like I, you know, I have a few, um, panels that I'm on that it's kind of my first time around with this whole thing. Um, so it's, it's really nice to, to be here, but also to be, be doing this in conjunction with, um, the book fair. And I will be sure to include links to that, um, in the show notes so listeners can go find that. Um, but the last question I have for you is, um, what books have you been reading recently that have really just been bringing you joy or something that you've really enjoyed or, um, anything that you would want to recommend to our listeners? I really, really love, um, These Ghosts Are Family by Maisie Card. I love, um, Lakewood by Megan Giddings, um, Bestiary by Kay Ming Chang. I have returned to my Cusk. Cause I really like the, you know, outline series. I think that's what, you know, the trilogy, um, I feel that those books really absorb me. Um, and I have just started a book that actually it's didn't just come out. It came out a while ago, I think, um, Bunny by Mona Awad. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really am digging that. Well, I will link those as well in the show notes so people can go check them out. I also in, enjoy Maisie Card. We talked about, um, her work for Caribbean Heritage Month back in June. And uh, she is a gift. I can't wait to see what, what she's doing next. Yes. That's it. Um, but thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been, it's been really great. Thank you. I'd like to thank Raven Lilani for talking with me about her debut novel, Luster, which is out now from Farrar, Strauss, and Guru. You can find her on Twitter at Raven Lilani and, of course, on her website, 
ravenlalani.weebly.com. And of course, all of this information will be linked in the show notes. I'd also like to thank the Miami Book Fair for partnering with us on this series of episodes. It's been great to work with them, so be sure to go check them out at miamibookfaironline.com. You can find Reading Women at readingwomenpodcast.com and on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find me at KD Winchester. And thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.